And welcome to the Life Support Live podcast, the weekly podcast that explores how Star Trek can help us to boldly go in our own lives to better ourselves and the rest of humanity. As a famous starship captain once said, and as another famous starship captain also once said, the one with the new series on the way, wherever our mission takes us, We'll try to have a little fun along the way. Always, always. That's the goal. Hi, everyone. I'm psychologist Dr. Ali Matu. And I'm Dr. Trek, Larry Nimacek. One of us is a real doctor. And we'll leave it to you to decide who that is. <laughs> hey, every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, we record this show live on Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook with our audience joining in and rebroadcast here as a podcast. If you'd like to join us live, check out the links in the show notes. And now, let's engage with our regularly scheduled program, Already in Progress. We're in the middle of a weekday, and not only are we in the middle of a weekday, we're, we're about to watch a movie in, in the Ooh. middle of a Tuesday. How wonderful wow. is this? What is this, some kind of crazy holiday week thing or something? What's going on here? We're on a little holiday schedule, that's right. Um, we're, we're not doing our live show on Saturday. Usually, Life Support Live is a weekly live Star Trek show where we talk about the intersection of Star Trek and mental health. It's a fun time for us to hang out. Through uncertain times. Yes, and those times keep getting more uncertain. Um, and we're, we're skipping this Saturday, um, in observation of, um, American, uh, Thanksgiving and, uh, to spend a little bit of time with our, our friends and family. But we didn't want to leave you hanging. Um, Larry, what are we doing today? We will. By popular demand, we've had a couple of watch-alongs so far. We've done a movie, we've done an episode on regular Saturday, and we are watching First Contact. Now, I've tried to put out on all the promo that it's BYOM. It's Bring Your Own Media. So yes. we're going to keep it going here. <laughs> we're going to keep it going here. Now, if you're new to Saturday, if you're new to Saturday Night Live, if you're new to Live, I haven't said Saturday so much in this show ever. Um if you're new to, to uh, Life Support Live, we've got a very active and a wonderful community here in chat. So join in right there. As Will Rogers once said, make a new friend tonight. Rub the shoulders of the person in front of you. Um, <laughs> no, you can you can watch everybody take off. We've got a lot of regulars. There'll be a lot of some inside jokes, but please feel free. And, of course, we're watching the movie, so that'll take up yeah. a lot of our bandwidth, too. We're going to watch each other. We're going to just talk as we go along. When it's done, we've got a little bit of time to open the hailing frequencies, as we say, and we, we can be interactive with the chat, too. So, um, you know, I was around for First Contact. My wife, Janet, wound up being uh, a script co- uh, assistant script coordinator for it, which meant she was there when uh, Bob Gillen, who was the DS9 normally and was supposed to do it, when he would go home and they'd be working on pages late at night, she did enough and, and Rick was pissed off enough at Bob. That she got a credit. This is the only time. In those days, that's the only time she ever got a credit. Uh, nowadays, they give everybody in their dog walkers, veterinarians, dentists, you know. Well, does a, that mean we're going to see Janet right. in the credits? Yes, she has a credit. Yeah! Oh, gosh. That is, uh, that's exciting. Stay tuned to the end, folks. Um, I say that, but it's not like we're showing the movie. We, can, we can't break copyright. So in that spirit, right now, what you want to do is you want to fire up your copy. Get it ready. 
Get your copy of Star Trek First Contact ready. What we're going to do is we're going to time it together so we're all starting the movie at about the same time. Now, the runtime is one hour, 50 minutes. So mm-hmm. uh, uh, if we're off by a few seconds, that's okay. It's not like um, we need to be perfectly in sync and almost all of us. Yeah, we, we've all kind of seen this movie before. We, we kind of know what we're in for, but, um, get your copy ready, um, in, on our Facebook group, uh, at facebook.com slash group slash life support live. Jared was kind enough to share a list of places where you can watch this movie. If you're in the United States and you have access to CBS All Access, it's very easy to access there. Larry, I think you mentioned Amazon Prime has it it's on as Amazon well. Amazon Prime. And if you're on the library focused, uh, app called Hoopla, it's on Hoopla for free too. No commercial. Those are the three places where it's free if you're a subscriber and no commercials and then there's some other places that have it free with commercials which will throw off your timing a little bit um but that's that yep um but we are going to be giving you some updates um as we're watching in case you get a little off track and you want to want to make sure you follow along um but of course you probably might have a you just have your disc you might have your physical media as well um a lot of benefits to having that one is uh your computer isn't doing all the all the running all the horsepower of trying to do a live stream and then also like downloading a stream and uploading larry and me so if you have physical media this would be a good time to get it i'm on the old pad here so yeah and we'll start with the paramount as we always used to say start with the paramount stars Right. <clears throat> That's yes. Yes. Start with the Paramount Stars. Um, always good advice. So, folks, um, we're going to be hanging out in the comments below. Um, we're going to be watching this live. Um, Larry, I think we're do you want to do you want to do the honors and count us down to, to engage? Oh, my gosh. Do I have to do it in Klingon? OK, no, no, I no. I prefer Federation okay. Standard, which I'm guessing is English. I, I'm guessing I, that's the thing. I just made that up. Okay, yeah, well, Federation standard, that's kind of the, that's kind of the traditional thing, yeah. Um, oh, I guess the music did, uh, we did hear the music at the end, didn't we? We did get music. You know what I did, folks? I muted, I had the music muted. I am so sorry. I will make sure the music is playing, um, at the end in full. <laughs> okay, cause it'll be the sad music then. That's obviously what we want then. Uh, <laughs> Let me see. I was just looking to see if anybody had some words of wisdom before I counted this down. Oh, well, here's a good word of wisdom is we're doing the movie, not the TNG episode. Yes. (laughs) For all of you big fans of the TNG episode, First Contact, that is not it. We are not going to Malcoria 2. Okay. (laughs) 3. I think it's Malcoria 3. Yeah, no no BB New Earth in this. (laughs) Hey, there's... There's all those K3s just popping at you. Okay, little things. Yeah, black alert, get ready to jump. Very good, Jared. Okay. Um, uh, oh, Nathan, well, I can't. I start. I got used to doing this on Tuesdays Live. Now I can't. Nathan Robinson says, is this going to get crazier than Larry's commentary with Iris Stephen Bear? No, we're not going to try to top that. We'll just do it in our own inimitable way, I'm sure. <laughs> okay. uh, Dan says, you haven't heard Larry Countdown until you've heard of the original Klingon. <laughs> Oh, you guys expecting too much. I can I can kapla with the best of them, but, you know, it's about my extent. But, Great yeah. songs will be sung of Larry's countdown. <laughs> Notice how that was English okay. in standard. <laughs> uh, the yep, the TNG episode is a great app. Yes, yes, yes. All okay. right, Larry, I'm turning <clears throat> over the con to you. All right, let's do it. Count us down. Uh, I've got my stars. Oh, my stars! They're right here, and let's go. One, uh, five, four, 
three, ignition sequence started. You should see flame. No. Three, two, one, and... All These right. are the official Paramount trumpets. So, Larry, I saw this the day it came out, um, and I remember, um, I just, you know, I didn't go to a premiere or anything. I was uh, not invited. I was I was very much not of that uh, world. But I remember they gave a free poster, a mini poster of the Phoenix and of the Enterprise-D, a cutout schematic version of it, mm. um, and I treasured that. And I also freaked out when I saw the intro logo being come assimilated. Um, and this music, when I heard this theme for the first time, it was, uh, oh my gosh, I was almost brought to tears. It was, I've always been frustrated that the next generation didn't have its own theme. It was really the Jerry Goldsmith theme from the motion picture. But when I heard this, I was like, this is it. This is the TNG theme. TNG finally got its theme. Well, it's funny you talk about the music. Well, I saw this at a – it was a crew cast and screening on the lot. It wasn't – I didn't go to the big hoopla red carpet screening. Mm. You know, I didn't cover it, cover it like we think of now. I always liked the – because I knew a lot of people. Plus, I was writing about all of them for the book and in the magazine. By, I mean, it was, this was two years before Communicator came to me. But I was had done the Next Generation campaign. And so many of these people – that's what Rick did. He brought along so many people to – the movies. Now, it was more so in Generations. On this one, they backed off. Jonathan's directing now, but um, the the see, John Knoll is a visual effects supervisor who is uh, – John Knoll who invented Photoshop, everybody. Whoa. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, Deborah Everton was the – see, they didn't – Bob Black. They were doing two series at the same time, remember? So a lot of people just almost killed them. So the, it's in these major creatives here at the front. Now, Herman – was doing double duty, but he was taking time away from the series. Matt, you, uh, Matt Leonetti was the DP. He wasn't a series DP, but uh, and Marty Hornstein was a movie producer. But uh, you'll you know you'll see a lot. Mike Westmore did the oversaw the makeup. Bob Justman designed the. This is the, the premiere of the Gray Tops uniforms. Mm. Yeah, and, so that's th- yeah. that's um, uh, something about this movie. The original trailer. It was more of a teaser. It recycled a lot of footage from um, TNG, from Star Trek VI, from all of that. So we never really, we didn't have a good view of what the new Enterprise, the new uniforms, the new sets were going to look like until this moment. All right meant here. to be uh, all meant to be teaserly. Well, they gradually let you know it was about Borg and all that. Yeah, but even the effects were were not quite uh, what we saw until we saw the first full. Um, oh yeah, uh, trailer, and um, it was so nice to see the next generation really get a cinematic treatment. With generations, yeah. um, even some of the effects in Star Trek Generations were recycled from episodes mm-hmm. um, or from previous movies, like The Bird of that Prey. That Bird of Prey gets blown up every other day. Oh my gosh, it gets blown up all the time. So to see completely new effects, new uniforms, new sets, mm-hmm. um, and to see Star Trek really embrace a next-generation villain was... Um, it, it felt so refreshing. Um, and one of the things that I, I think about... Uh, I get really squirmish at this eye. The eye Little health end on that one, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, here we um, go. But look behind him. 
he's got the Malkorian, uh, the Mintakin, uh that was given oh, him that yeah. was always on his chair on the D. Oh, yeah. Thank Big John Dwyer, all the set dressing in all of these until the Stuart Baird disaster. All the set dressing, mm. there's a lot of carryover from the D, a lot of the touches. Oh, wait. And we not- have an inception. It was a dream within a dream. It was a it was a Moriarty. (laughs) Thanks to Nemesis, I always see this and I'm like, oh, Janeway's about to appear, and then I realize no. Nope. Now, um, have we seen this admiral before? Yes, he's been. He was on the series. See another touch. Yes, I know. The Borg. You have engaged. The oh, Larry, I love the view of the E right there. This slow, ro- it's almost like the motion picture space do- or the pod docking. We mm-hmm. get a nice slow reveal of, of the brand new Enterprise. Oh. We call it a beauty pass. Um, <laughs> a beauty pass. I love those beauty passes. Galactic Nebula behind it was Hubble imagery. What? That's I awesome. love that. It's escaped me at the moment. Someone's going to note in the chat. I want to say it's not the Horsehead Nebula. They used that on Voyager. But mm. um, that was an actual astronomic image from the Hubble that had been souped up and sent to Star- specially sent to Star Trek to use. Well, let me let me do a little reverse K3. I don't know if that's a thing. Um, the The theme here to First Contact was also used by NBC in the uh, Nagano Winter Olympics as well in some of their oh. coverage. Okay. Yeah. Um, now this set they're using the the observation room on the D they have the same window pe- they were so expensive to make that they're using the same curved window pieces in the set here even though they built a, they built a new ish set for it since the D was long gone um, Cairo brings up Jordy and his new eyes so Larry I believe the story there is LeVar Burton was just tired of wearing the visor um, is there more to that well, they had played with it all along since like yeah. second or third season. Pulaski said, I think I can replace your eyes. And, uh, yeah. This was very nice. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I just love their relationship there. Uh-huh. Um, and also the little sarcastic, the, the character, the actors are settled into their characters. They have a comfort with each other. We're seeing this, this level of comfort that I think we, we saw in the motion picture in the Wrath of Khan as well with the original series crew. Well, and here's this whole mentality. Remember, I think I've talked about this whole mentality of the Romulans are so boring. The Romulans are so boring. <laughs> so boring. Which comes back to bite, you know, Michael Piller on Insurrection, and then then he has to watch the next fifteen thousand new Star Treks, or he watches from wherever he is now. I'll be about Romulus, <laughs> oh, Nine and Picard and Nemesis, and <clears throat> so I I got to bring up here um, trauma. Uh, the Starfleet is obviously concerned about uh, Picard's past, about uh, they've engaged the Borg. And I love that it's Troy delivering that line. And the Borg's dad um, is just thrilled about it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I love that 
Starfleet here is concerned about oh, his trauma. First bridge. Ooh, the new bridge. Oh, the new bridge. I love this bridge. Um, and we see a change a bit in, um, in Insurrection as well as Nemesis. But, um, in First Contact, I feel like it's just the perfect size and the perfect colors. Mm-hmm. Um, it's worked so well. But I want to talk about trauma here a little bit. Um, uh-huh. I, it's a life support live, Larry. We are live, and I am life supporting right now. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I think Starfleet Medical would have done evaluations and assessments, and would have already d- deemed Picard to be ready to be to rejoin an encounter with the Borg. Um, I think Picard has has gone through his growth and and he has the support of his crew here. He's he's in a good place to to take them on. Tracy Lee Coco back there, Lieutenant J, whose name was never said on screen. She just came up with that. <clears throat> Can we talk Lieutenant Hawk? Do you have any any K threes for us, Larry? So Lieutenant Hawk, <clears throat> he told me when we were they, they were shooting that he was it was really weird because he said he said oh, there's been a lot of speculation. I mean. That whether he was gay here or not, or whether this, you know, was never mentioned, it was never part of the character. But he told me that he was trying to make him an Okie. That he was trying to make him an Oklahoma, oh. a little bit of an Oklahoma draw, which I'm like, at the time, I was like, well, that's cool. And then I watched Hold on, Larry. I need really? to appreciate this jump to warp. Okay. Oh, my gosh. I love it's, the Enterprise E and that warp. Okay. It's so Please cinematic. Continue. It's so shadowy. Oh, my gosh. Now we're about to see the Defiant. When I saw this, I was so excited. <clears throat> here's the here's the here's the drum pounding uh, Borg theme. Did oh you my get gosh. excited, Ali? I got so excited. Now, Larry, Larry, yeah. yeah. Why is Cisco not in command of the Defiant? He was on some uh, emissary thing at the time. Oh, right. Couldn't be in he the was, war. No, I... he's doing non-linear time stuff. Because his agent is nowhere near as good as Michael Dorn's. <laughs> um, notice the Klingon theme right there. It's either the Klingon theme or aliens are coming from Alien. One of those. Watch out for the xenomorphs. Oh, and this, Larry, the scale of the Defiant and Enterprise. Oh, it's so beautiful. Oh my gosh. So the the other thing that I um I was uh, really excited about in this moment, uh, yeah, that's a captain. You know O'Brien's no longer in transporter room three. I don't <laughs> our best transporter he, room. He might be on the Defiant. Um, so they made a lot of new starships. See the this. hollow screen. Can I just rant yes, on please, about how the damn thing is not a real piece of glass? It's a hollow viewer. It was the cool thing. Now every friggin' ship has a piece of glass out there with. Okay, embedded crystals, blah, blah, blah. But the whole point was it wasn't just a window. But that's the only time they actually depicted it being a hollow. Then, Because otherwise, it's just this boring piece of carpet across the front. And it's but also it's- um, w- w- uh, in the technical manual for Next Generation, it's very clear that the view screen was always designed to be a 3D projection. So they're actually seeing in 3D. They're, they're not like seeing in 2D. stage area in the front of it. Okay, Larry, tell me about these starships. We have Nova, uh, not Nova first, class. We have Steamrunner, Akira. The first, the first all CGI ships, no models ever built for them were in this. Although the Sovereign here is a model. It was the last. They did build a model. They used, yeah. they wound up doing it with, yeah. And then they wound up by the end not using it. 
I mean, by the later movies. But I mean, those that's the Steam Runner, the other, the Saber, and the other one, Akira. Uh, was, yeah. No, I said that. No, that's Akira. a lot of starships to build for one movie in those in, days. Well, but maybe CG. the turn to CG. Yeah. Yeah, it was a, an ILM thing, and I've gone blank on the. I've gone blank on the guy, but it was a big thing. It was like a little thing, but I was like, "Holy crap! It's the first four CGI starships ever made, only." And I went Tough up little and, ship. <clears throat> um, what came first, Larry? Tough little ship from Will or from Thomas on Deep Space Nine? Uh, that was early third season. Uh, 90, uh, so I think that means Thomas said it first. Will said it second. Yes, Thomas said it first. Yeah. <clears throat> Hashtag Thomas said it first, folks. <laughs> chronometric particles. Not chronometric, but chronometric. That's interesting. Chronometric. This effect vortex. is beautiful, Larry. It's Vortex number 47 for Star Trek. <laughs> this, is, this is movie budget Vortex time. Um, they also did a really great shake right there as they entered that temporal wake. They were all in, in sync. You have a shake scale? Yeah. I do have a shake scale. This is high on it. Usually Star Trek is not so high. I know with, um, I believe it was Star Trek in a Darkness, or it might have been Star Trek Beyond, the first time they actually had... Um, they would actually have the capability to move the bridge, but it's usually the 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 sh- sort of lean yeah, in as you shake the, the camera. Bridge, and it was like no yes. big deal. It's like all this hyperkill for nothing. They didn't really do. It's like <laughs> well, they, they destroyed it. They blew it up. They blew up the yeah, damn ship. Yeah, yeah. I must follow them back. Repair whatever damage they've done. So there's few people here as possible. <laughs> oh gosh, the image of the uh, assimilated Earth. This movie yeah. does such a beautiful job of visual storytelling, of yeah. of showing not telling. Um, Look at that drone shot before drones. Oh yeah, and yeah. this is all up. I was so I didn't. I was so disappointed because I just wanted to go up to in the Angeles Crest area where they filmed this and go yes. see see the sets live one time. And I never. It was like oh, they're making. I didn't have a press pass thing i didn't want to push it so i was really disappointed i didn't get up there when they had everything up and built uh, tell me tell me a little bit more larry uh where was where was this shot this, this is not bozeman montana they, i tried to go up and recreate this for our tour potentials but it's up the windy windy road up in the angeles crest mountains above above glendale it's like it's oh, it's California. fire scene it was few it's had a bug infestation since then and was closed there there have been fires up that way but this is uh, all at a campground, one of the campgrounds up in the Angeles, in the National Forest, um, above, northeast of Los Angeles. I love how Scott says, visual storytelling, we call that directing. <laughs> Good point, Scott. Um, Larry. You know, it got retconned to be Bozeman, and Bozeman is yeah. Brandon's, one of his hometowns, by the way. That's why Which Bozeman is why it became Bozeman. Yeah. Montana, but in, yeah. in earlier drafts, this was just called Resurrection City, and they didn't say where it was. Oh, you just oh. knew it was out in the woods somewhere. Yeah, and that Bozeman was is a lot to, better than Resurrection City. That was called the Crash and Burn Bar, but that, um, that's not what they called it. That's not what it went to be called. So, I mean, what's, what's interesting to me is, and correct me if I'm wrong, Larry, the creative team behind Star Trek: First Contact was largely the same creative team behind Star Trek: Generations. But you have a lot of differences in 
in the time, the author, the writers of the script were the oh, same yeah, folks. Oh, yeah, yeah. Ron and Brandon are, yeah. Yeah. And so you see the difference between what happens on the timeline of Star Trek Generations, what happens with the the to-do list that they were given of all the things that have to get done with Generations versus a little bit more of a blank slate on what's what's possible with Star Trek First Contact. Yeah, and they had, and they they were both, uh, you know, this is '96, so they both, Brandon and Braun were both separately working, Brandon on Voyager and Ron on DS9, and they came back and and did this. And the big thing about this, I did this in the Companion for the first time, and it's since, I mean, if you're studying, they originally had it flipped. Once the plot splits, and there's some on Earth in the past, and some on, are up on the you know, the Borg are attacking the ship upstairs, and downstairs is the whole thing with Cromwell. And originally it was Picard on the surface and Riker up with the Borg. And then along the way, they right. said, it's crazy. The Borg, the Borg thing should be Picard's personal devil to deal yeah. with. And so they flipped it. And so yeah. Riker was downstairs and Picard was upstairs. Uh, we got a question here from Cairo, Larry. Uh, quantum torpedoes, fire. Uh, first time we're seeing quantum torpedoes. I'm trying to. Rem- I think they'd been on DS9 already on the Defiant. On the Defiant, the Defiant has quantum I could, torpedoes. I could be wrong, yeah. but I'm thinking my first instinct is to say, although you would think they would save quantum torpedoes because it was uh, this whole thing about let's save the new ship and the new stuff and the new uniforms for the movie, you know, and then everything else is, gets the leftovers. But anyway, um, all right. So how did we get? Alfrey and um, and Alfrey Woodard and um, you and, know that uh, Alfrey is Jonathan's godmother in real life. No, Jonathan Wait. Frakes. Yes. Well, maybe that's how we got Alfrey Woodard in this movie. One of the reasons, but yeah, they just thought it was cool to have his. And this, uh, this yeah. isn't James Cromwell's first appearance in Star Trek. He was in a in an episode. What, what episode? Wacky. He's such an interesting actor. He's not about the ego. He's no. he's a Uridian. He's Jaglin Shrek that tricked Worf into thinking his father was alive. He played a Uridian. He played the prime minister of the rod up their ass planet with the with the super um, the the with the super killer soldiers. Roga uh, Noga Roga Danar. They got mentioned. Roga Danar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Roga Danar is like you know super stiff prime minister leader guy was him. He wore uh, another prosthetic in I think in a DS Nine too. But so, no, um, and and putting it in context, this is coming on the heels of Bait. He was um uh he was quite popular in Babe, and so mm-hmm. um this is. Another great tradition of the Star Trek uh, films of uh, getting really hot actors at that time to play uh, starring roles. And unlike the next film or the previous film, those starring actors uh, play roles that are generally well liked. (laughs) Okay, and just passing here, I've never got a chance to go there myself, but this is all shot at the Titan 2 Museum in Arizona. Oh, very cool. So they I kept tight in a silo to remind people what the Cold War missile silos look like. <clears throat> is that still open? Can you still go there? I think it is. I haven't checked in on it, but I, I hope it's still open. That's a great, that would be a great te- Trekland destination. Uh, Jared, please put that on our list of potential retreats uh, <laughs> for Life Support Live. Um, Larry, hey, any. Beverly Crusher yeah. actually gets a scene, and of course she's delivering information. 
she never gets to have a real scene. Sadly. Come on, Rebecca, I threw that in for you. Rebecca was uh Rebecca commented on um Blonde Crusher, uh big thumbs up. Um Larry Phoenix, uh any insights on on the Phoenix, how we got this name, uh connection to the larger Star Trek canon? Just just Phoenix as in rising from the ashes and yeah. that's what he, that's what his, you know, coming of the ashes of World War Three. Bullion. Oh yeah. Bullion enlisted it's, officer, not just cutting hair there, folks. Uh first shot of engineering. Yes, yes. And and in real life they shot all these scenes first, and then when they borgified it, they called it the Borg Hive, and you know, it all got borgified. I mean all the cables and the dark and everything. But that's the pristine beauty view of of uh, engine. See, all this was location shot. They didn't have to build any of this. That's and that's, that's the tight missile sitting there from the museum. Wow. <laughs> it brings even more relevance to this scene right over here where this is, uh, yeah. the historical I to this. irony line. This I refer to this scene a lot here. The the touch, the tactile. I would think it would be a big I love me- this. Yeah. I mean, this this is a nice moment of Picard teaching Data more about humanity, and it's also very much connects to all of us in the audience. I mean, we want to we want to touch a Apollo uh, capsule, right? Like, right, it's right. um, it's this connection to us, but also an extension of Data and Picard's relationship. It's mm-hmm. it's beautiful, and the Smithsonian mentioning it in the Smithsonian. It's it's um, it's a wonderful moment here. Is there a um uh, oh, just oh. wait got to have the punchline Okay, it's a minute. It's I'm at titanium casing so I'm... Yeah, me too. Oh, here here it is. <laughs> Troy gets a McCoy line. Yay. Okay. Can you uh, see just... would you three like to be alone? Can you Just Jenis, oh, no. Larry, has a question. Is there a starship named Phoenix in Starfleet? I am not thinking right off, but you would think, oh, my God, for sure there ought to be. I'm trying to think in the later. It would have to be either in later DS9, no. I don't think so, or something. I, you would think so. Um, Doesn't and then an update up. from Al Dean says, yes, the Titan Museum is up and running on a modified schedule. So well, everything is, I mean, COVID time, but it's not, yeah. hasn't, in the last 20 years, hasn't gone uh, under. Rebecca, oh, content. Rebecca oh. says, excuse me, while I stroke my starship, um, that it, you're describing a lot of my youth there, Rebecca. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> Um, yeah, so, Larry, up to the... the chat, Tim Tim brought up a thing. A lot of people were going, isn't uh, Jimmy Cromwell too old to play Cochran and versus how he'd looked in uh, in Metamorphosis? And everybody came up with the thing that between World War Three and working around unshielded radiation that he'd been aged. And so then the companion, by the time you see it later in the timeline, the companion had rejuvenated him. So. We all we retconned that the hell out of that. He's earlier. Um, and, and Jared's got an update for us. Uh, Maxwell's ship was a USS Phoenix. Okay, but that was before the. Okay, okay, fine. Yeah, yeah. So we have a Phoenix. <laughs> it's pre-retconning. Ooh, okay. Yeah. 
Um, uh, so, Larry, up until this point, we knew about James Crum. I mean, not James Cromwell, Jeffrey Jeffrey Cochran. Uh, I'm just all over. <laughs> Zephram, I think. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Zephram Cochran. We knew about Zephram Cochran. We had seen him in, him in the original series. We knew about uh, First Contact ushering in this era. Now, wait, this is Voyager, right? Voyager is Sigma, yes. Yeah. Only yeah, recolored, yeah, yeah. repainted. Yeah. Yeah. Made much more sovereign looking with the with the it, colors. Yeah. Nurse Ogawa. Here you go. Cameo number one. Oh, not yet. And and Larry, this cameo is perfect. This cameo it is makes total sense. Yeah. It makes total sense. Um But so what I was saying is um we know about first contact and its role, but we don't we didn't know any specifics, right, leading up to this film. About what? Oh, no. We didn't. What do you say? Specifics about what? Um, the context in which Earth was uh, World War Three. Well, no, actually, we knew a little bit about that. Well, a little bit. You just knew it was about Borg and First Contact and... Um, no, I mean, like, the circumstances of First Contact in, in the larger Star Trek canon. See, I'm bad about this because I'd been working on the thing for months before and was not a good, like, what was revealed at the time. I'm having to recreate it. Now, that's Simon, uh, the guy behind him there. He was an extra all through Next Generation 2. We were talking about... Um, and say, there she is back behind there. He doesn't sound very oaky there. See, that's... What... No, he really doesn't. But, you know... Um, Open shields. My... Oh, I could have showed all him right. what to say, how to do it, oaky. Now, you'd think Data here would just use his bluetooth or wi-fi connection and kind of like uh <laughs> do some encryption that's, even faster than they ants but that's that is so transistor as would be to a trans stator so no <laughs> here we go this is oh, just I... a wonderful moment too mm-hmm. narrate this for me dr boy <laughs> I swore I'd never <laughs> use one of these. And the crowd went, ah. Oh, I lost it when this happened, too. Well, now, here, folks, went, ah. folks, you have Star Trek doing a cinematic universe better and before anyone else. This is before the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Oh, see this that is... hatch? They built that hatch for this. If you're watching Voyager, before First Contact, there's no hatch there. After first contact, there's a little there's a hatch. hatch. Oh, nice! I didn't know that. that's a nice little yeah, tidbit. Yeah. They cut that for this moment to do that bit because no one ever had seen like an analgesic cream. <laughs> <laughs> I also really love that we haven't seen a drone yet. We know that they're building suspense. the mm. The reveal is going to be wonderful. Uh, this is for Star Trek doing a little bit of horror in suspense genre, oh, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. which is which is a ton of fun. Ooh, the new rifles. Ooh, look, an armory. Ooh. Yeah, so what it... It's a big honking pad. <laughs> yeah, there's a very big pad, I remember. What's the point? <laughs> they were so proud of that interacted. That was like uh, his tapping the button and having it time out. That was so, this was like 96. They were so... All the art guys were so... And Nathaniel's asking, how often does Ali have to hold back Borg in his practice? Um, it happens a lot more often than, than I'd like. 
<laughs> How often do you have to duck into the little hatch specially cut in the side of the wall? For the Jeffrey Larry, Larry, does that Elcar's massive pad have face ID? Well, or touch ID? just do that for anybody. You've got to be Captain Picard to have the big honking right. pad. Right. Jordy gets his little red one, but you've got to be there. So it didn't wreck them totally. So, okay, this is a, now this is just a wonderful scene. Mm-hmm. Um, did Marina Citrus get drunk for this scene? <laughs> no. She plays it well. Um, all right, so Larry, one thing. I don't know. This was like the best Deanna scene up until this time. And hey, they just not... have too, way too much fun here. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and Jonathan too. It's like, oh yeah, no, all all three of them. Good. <laughs> it's always it's interesting to see all the things that World War Three didn't totally wipe out. Yeah, that's what I want to talk about. Alcohol uh, and alcoholism. But if you've been through <laughs> alcoholism, if you'd survive World War Three, I think you're entitled. That wasn't so good. How about a little vaudeville in Star Trek? (laughs) So, all right. This is something that I think a lot of people forget, and you just mentioned it, Larry. Star Trek is a post-apocalyptic story. Our first contact occurs after Earth has... uh, The the population of Earth has almost been completely decimated. People forget this. Dark series. Set a series post-World War III leading up to... Is that from Cochran scrounging around an old? Someone onion? mentioned that. Yeah, someone mentioned that already. Insane, and, you know. And so I, um, I did this talk. Maybe, maybe someone can share it in the comments. It's a. <laughs> do you ever do now that? That is a line I do all the time. I do all that time with my, uh, with my colleagues, with Don't my commanders. Criticize my counselor. You're blended, all right. All right. Uh, <laughs> This is one of the best. This is just the best Deanna Riker. Oh, yeah, yeah. This is, again, them being so comfortable, the actors being so comfortable in their roles, and the roles being, and the writers just knowing these roles so well. I would almost say this in Nepenthe. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, Insurrection Nemesis, which came later, but never well, happened. Well, I, I do like their rekindling in, in Insurrection. Oh, and. <laughs> that's hard for him that whole timing how they were going to do the physicality of that anyway and james is uh dancing there oh another wonderful shot of the enterprise um okay so larry i want to mention this real quick i do this talk about um the psychology of the U- of star trek's utopian future and one of the things i talk about is how difficult it is and almost impossible um, the chances are if we meet an alien, we won't be able to have communication with them. They'll look nothing like us. And history has shown first contact usually goes very horribly on Earth, the first contact between different cultures. But um, um, having a common goal 
having something that we would need to unite around might be something that can help us to get through. And this is where I think it ties to Star Trek First Contact. The conditions for the next 50, 100 years of peace and prosperity might have occurred because of this mass apocalypse that happened on Earth. And um, when I first did this talk back in 2012, I talked about how the EU might be a model moving forward and how climate change might be our global devastation. Now I'm wondering about things like the the pandemic. Um, will what comes next from the pandemic set the stage for more global cooperation at a level that we've never seen? Because we need to be prepared for the next the virus. Same that way might, the plague might... kind of led into uh, uh, the Enlightenment and the Renaissance. I mean, you know, medievalism yes. and serfdom and then the plague. And then you had a rebound. Whoever's left standing uh, kind of appreciates life a little more. I don't know. And wants to do yeah. that. There's a quote that's been sticking around in my head a lot is uh, we're not I'm paraphrasing it, but we're not going to know if we're headed towards a utopia or dystopia until the very end. And I think we might be entering a time in our species history where it's going to be do or die. We either rise to these challenges of of our interdependence upon one another or we're not able to meet the challenges. And uh, whether it's a pandemic or climate change, we're going to be in, in a lot of trouble. Um, but this movie is about that, Larry. Star Trek is about that. It's about World War Three, this devastation and us finding a new way to move together, finding hope and working it, together through it. Earlier drafts of this, you know, the way the Enterprise opening theme, uh, opening credits were kind of that montage of history. The earlier drafts of First Contact, they started with the Borg doing historical research on Earth, like the Borg are trying mm. to find the best temporal point to attack, like weak spot to attack, and they finally settle on this. Oh, look, they're all depleted and they're about to, if we can just cut off, the theme. Anyway, but it starts with them going through everything from ancient times to the world wars, but they show some footage of World War Three that was going to be, you know, put together. Anyway, that wound up not being used. But it was going to be like the opening of the movie was going to be you see all this historical stuff and then you pull back and see it's a bunch of Borg drones watching it. And then and then at the end of the sequence, the Borg Queen, you hear her voice or you barely see her or something. But. Um just Janice asks who in the Star Trek universe would you want to have a drink with, Larry? Any time period? Any time period. It's a whole Star Trek universe. I, I would... Okay, my go-to answer has always been McCoy, but now you're going to make me think, maybe. Yeah, this is a tough question. Yeah. Um, what, what kind of drink? <laughs> um, I... Oh, he says I, who in the past. Oh, oh. I, Not just I who would, in the Star Trek past, in the real past, yeah. You know, my my first, my immediate answer was Guinan, um, just because I think it would be such a pleasant experience. Oh, uh, many uh, Star Trek universe. Yeah, I see. <clears throat> What's funny is they went through three different phaser rifle designs over the over the course of filming this. Oh, I missed Tim's comment, and I, I uh, wasn't able to d give uh, a little ooby dooby, ooby dooby, ooby dooby 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 do 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 do. You missed it. I did. Okay. Well, there you go. They've adapted, Larry. Oh no. 
Oh, Worf is just like, well, I'm just going to use this phaser as a baseball bat. <laughs> we have engaged the Borg. Yeah. Oh, it's so great to see Data's uh, Data's strength here. And mm-hmm. all right, folks. So we're we're also seeing now little elements of what we call re-traumatization. It's when someone who's gone through a trauma is put in a similar circumstance where it's bringing about their traumatic symptoms again. Now we're beginning to see Picard having a bit of difficulty having to come in contact with uh, with the Borg again. Um, I think that's that's very realistic there. Um, now that, although, Larry, that is not realistic. Data just standing by this. Data's like, do 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 do. He's just standing. That he's pulled up from under me. That's the one scene in this whole movie that I'm like, ah, not buying it. See, and that's why when they were designing the E back at Starfleet, that one guy said, "Why are you putting a Starfleet door on a Starfleet ship?" <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just think it's interesting sometimes. No, it's the only door in Starfleet history that opens from the bottom. I just realized that. <laughs> I love the way that they flip data so that his face is showing as he's dragged under the door. Oh, man, brutal. Down, and then the board goes, we better flip him so that we can instill more horror in our audience if we let his face be seen. So, um... Uh, there's a, a lot just happened. So, Larry, Picard firing on the Starfleet officer who was just yes. uh, infected with, by the nanoprobes. Um, little trauma there, too. Is that right? Is that justified? Well, in hindsight, what are we doing to have a Tuvix debate here? What we- I mean, I think we need a little mini Tuvix debate. Folks, let us know. What would you do? Because, look, he was saved. He was saved from the assimilation process, but it was also... An earlier season assimilation process without the nano tube bot, nano whatever they're called. Yeah, the um, nanoprobes. The nanoprobes, yeah. It was not as advanced assimilation process as we see now, but that also seems a bit hypervigilant, a bit on guard, a bit on edge, um, and a bit cruel as well, since, since he was saved from assimilation. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how to think about that. Um, couple of other comments I want to stay on top of. Um, Scott said, giant two-handed phaser rifle shots, explosion. Teeny tiny little hand phaser shots, same size explosion. <laughs> That's right. And there's 16 settings on a... <laughs> um, Jason's got a great question here. Who adapts better, humanity or the Borg? Larry, uh, what do you think? Let's see. Who ultimately prevails every single time Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) let me guess i I would say the borg assimilate or the borg adapt better in the short term humanity really in the long term humanity is much better at learning lessons and being flexible you'd think for all their flying around in cubes that the borg would be better about thinking outside the box but ultimately no (laughs) (laughs) That was good. That was good. I love it, Larry. Um, Have they ever tried arrows on the Borg? So I've wondered this, Chris. I've seen Uh, the debates about just go up and club, get bows and arrows and swords and things and just physically kill. Oh, Larry. Okay. To be in arm's length, see, of a Borg. Larry, the Star Trek line, are you up or down on it? I'm not thrilled with it, and it's but it's hard. You know, I I'm I admire them trying to go for it, 
I wanted actually I wanted Jordy to go there she is and then <laughs> I I'm I'm pro Star Trek line um because I think James Cromwell pulls it off um and I think it's also just um uh, if any movie is gonna go for it um why not the movie that's about the genesis of Star Trek yeah 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 yeah. And you're all some sort of... You're all astronauts on some kind of Star Trek. Uh, Glenn says, thanks, Dr. Ali. Retraumatization will be a thing after the pandemic. Yes, I absolutely agree. Uh, Um, uh, Yeah. Well, there's... Hey, but on the bright side, it's a topic for a live support live. (laughs) Or maybe 47. Well, there's a little silver lining there. More bad guys? <laughs> well, snobby guys, but basically. <laughs> Very snobby guys. And just wait till the next prequel series. You'll see how snobby they really get. Meanwhile, that Velcro you're using on your... <clears throat> Actually, we're right there. <laughs> Over there by picnic table 27. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh. Christina says, about- I'm con for the Star Trek line. I'm guessing, Christina, that means you're, you're down on it. Um, or does that mean you're really like into it? Like, con! I, I, I don't know. Uh, don't blow up your speakers with it. <laughs> I'm just. Oh, Scott says, I like the conceit that Cochran, of all people, invents Star Trek. Uh, I agree, Scott. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go through. Rose says, We humans will always adapt. We all can overcome anything. That's my opinion. Rose, something that really inspires me is if you look at. Um, our anthropological history, the period of greatest um, evolutionary advancement for humans also the- happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The period of greatest advancement in the history of our species occurred during a period of mass climate change. So I get hope in that, that it's it's in our species history to be able to cope with massive large term change. So, so we can get through that. Warm to cold or cold to warm? Uh, warm to cold, I believe, I think, I think it was Ice Age. Um, I'll have to fact check myself on that, or maybe someone in the comments can. Oh, the assimilation process happening. So, um, this is all, Larry, let's talk about the all new Borg look. I was going to say, this is a huge, yeah, the cinema, Mike Westmore was so thrilled to be able to do this because they had done, you know, Q Who, they'd had to do the Borg the first time on the run in the middle of the season and they did what they could, but they were so ready to make them better than just guys wearing, you know, old fighter pilot caps. And old fighter pilot, yeah, yeah. And uh, one of was it is it Hugh who had the like uh, sunglasses? Kind of, it looked like it almost looked like they were just repurposed sunglasses. Uh, <laughs> I'll wear my Borg glasses at night. <laughs> 
No, it was very cool. There's a one of the makeup guys named Barry Coper. I have a picture of this to mass produce those. They did a head cap, but then he pre-cut lines so that all those different pieces you see on they could like make one piece and then break it apart and separate it. So they got like eight or nine Borg guys' head, Borg drones' head pieces out of one head casting. I it was just mm. like, okay. Um, I like the little detail that um, the crew is loosening up their their uniforms because it's hot like a board cube. Um, mm-hmm. And someone mentioned in the comments they gave Picard a lot of layers so he could strip them off over the course of the movie, which I think is right on. Um, this scene is also beautiful. The music is about to swell. And what I love about this moment is um, there's a little tie-in to an insurrection when Picard says, you know, when um, he's asked, has there been ever a moment that you felt like, you know, you could live in or something like that? And Mm -hmm. Picard said, the first time I saw my planet from outer space, the first time I saw Earth, right? So the music's swelling. We're looking at Earth. There's a big tie-in to real NASA psychology here. The, The favorite pastime of astronauts is looking at Earth. It gives them this, this, perspective that they never had before and it's going to be one of our biggest challenges of getting to mars for the first time in humans history we won't be able to see our planet um Mm -hmm. and so nasa is trying to solve for that how do we maintain a connection to earth because that is the number one thing that helps astronauts get images to keep home fresh for our early space travelers oh look it's the making of star trek 1968 yeah why why the enterprise has holodecks but yet exactly your planet from space that totally throws back to to me just then you said that uh, not humans and earth but um the mintakins and when when they decide to break the prime directive to fix it and picard brings luria you know the proto-vulcanoids he brings luria up to the ship they go and and he shows her her planet from mm, yep yep out the third window it's that same bit it's that oh, same yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, people are asking for a time check. I am right now at 46, five seconds. Uh, 40... Oh, I did too, until I stopped it. Yeah, you and I are like, I think, perfectly in sync for once, Larry. This is one For once. <laughs> that means As we're opposed to most Saturdays. Minute 47. Oh. Good timing there to check. Carissa says uh, Lily is such a great character, and, and I, I really have to agree. I, I um, Gets overlooked a lot by a lot of people. Gets overlooked a lot. Yeah, you know, um, we don't learn too much about her, which is uh, really a shame. Um, she does, and, and we can criticize her as largely... This is so awesome. This is a wonderful effect yeah. um, of the Borg Queen being lowered into her body. <laughs> To show you how far things have come, just what, three years later or so, they redo this on Voyager even more intricately than they on a TV budget than they did on a live action budget in a feature. I mean, it's just amazing how fast things were changing. That yeah. You know. yeah, that era, the visual effects were really um really moving forward at a pretty breathtaking rate. Uh, the one thing about Lily is I think she largely serves Picard. Like she doesn't have as much agency on her own. Um, and she, but she does have this arc of, uh, of being sort of this person who's, who's only, who's learning and a bit ignorant of her surroundings and then immediately understands what's going on with Picard and the revenge. 
and and she does have that turn. She reminds me a lot of the people who was it? There, there was a a native, uh, no Matthew Henson, the black explorer with was it um, the American that went to the North Pole? It's like the famous explorers, and half the mm. time they're number two are either right there with them and get ignored, or they they lose out on the you know they're not the name person. And Lily strikes me a lot that way with Cochrane. It's like she's the one. If he's that that skittish and that prone to you know alcoholism or whatever, if he's brilliant but erratic, and she's the one keeping him on board, but she's she's not somebody that she's not an assistant. She's like partner here. So mm. like I always I'm like she's got a doctorate. She's got advanced education. That's why she's adapting. She's got a cognitive brain that works. And she's not running around screaming like all the poor locals there back in in Bozeman or wherever it was called at the time. I mean, she's able to adapt because she has a superior intellect. But uh, you know what I'm saying? I mean, she's, I, I, yeah. she's traumatized, but once she gets to settle down, but if you do her backstory, she had to have been very well educated, very settled. In fact, she's got to be the mother to his craziness in their you know partnership. Andrew says, um, if they are in sync, I hope they don't sing. Um, Andrew, be careful for what you wish for. My number one go-to karaoke song is Bye 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 by NSYNC. I will oh. spare you that because I don't think, I don't know if Larry could, uh, if Larry would, uh, <laughs> or, no, your number one, uh, song, uh, karaoke song is Magic Carpet Ride. Oh. <laughs> There you go. They have 150 members in the Federation in there. And how many did it peak at, according to Discovery? According to Discovery, it was 200-something, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they pick up plenty more members between um, (laughs) the Borg and the Burn. That was a good line. The Borg and the Burn. I like that. Between the Borg and the Burn. And people love to rag on about the the whole deck thing. 24 versus 26, and then later oh, on. Oh, yeah. He meant there are 24 inhabitable decks that you could stand up tall in. That's what he meant. <laughs> listen, Ali, listen. I know. You mean you don't get paid? ourselves and the rest of humanity there it is as guys. a famous as a famous star captain once yeah under great duress once <laughs> should i should i tell the story on you please please so we did this for two months and finally i said something about that picard line and ollie says wait that's a picard line the tag line that we open every show with i said and then you know the one i do is from pike so anyway, for two months, I thought Larry was, um, I don't know what I thought. <laughs> I have no idea. Get out of here. One day I kind of asked you, I'm like, Larry, what, what lines are these from? And then you're like, Ali, what the heck are you talking about? <laughs> so yeah, Glenn is bringing up here, but money does exist in the 21st century. Yeah, it's, it's like, we're going to put the economics of this aside uh, mm-hmm. i think most economists would say this 
this doesn't work, you still need some way to trade with other... Yeah, trade is going to be important. And within the Federation, when someone joins them, do you just take away their currency? Like, how does this even work? Um, well, does this mean that... Have it, we obviously know. Well, and, and also, like, while goods might be free, services... You know, how how do you compensate for them? But let's just endo- enjoy this holodeck adventure, shall we? Because we got a new cameo! I I enjoyed seeing the graphic nerd. I'm a graphic nerd, so I enjoyed that. There we go. Johnny or Ethan. So we now have two Voyager references. One Deep Space Nine reference with a Defiant. I was at a party once and met the guy playing that. He, we were playing cards, and the guy huh? playing bartender was there. It's like, oh. He knows it so well. And this was uh, all at uh, L.A. Union Station. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I see that. One morning trying to figure out what – I didn't have the exact documents, and I was trying to figure out where they – we were looking at stills trying to figure out what they would have redressed. I totally can see that. Um, LA's Union Station is beautiful. If folks it's an have Art not Deco. been, yeah, yeah. But all these, all a lot of the stuff here is added. You had to get like ceiling shots <laughs> to figure that. And somewhere in this scene, they're not really on camera, but Ron and Brandon are. Um, Ron and Brandon are in this uh, in in costume. They're extras. So we also have now um, more paying forward of Star Trek The Next Generation canon. Um, he's playing the role of Dixon Hill, um, mm-hmm. which we've seen in, in a few different episodes on Next Generation. Invented by Tracy Torme. Stunt guy. Stunt guys all over the place. And there's a great. <laughs> You're gonna see it on Picard's face right here. Here we go. Physical. Patrick Stewart's oh. acting here, I think, is really. Um... I think you got him. You know he. This is also getting to the the complex ways in which trauma can can change you and rewire you, and um, in some cases um, hotwire certain emotions together. I, I, that's something I really like about this movie is um, it's it's really a big deepening of uh, of Picard's psychology and and what he's gone through and what he's dealing with and. And it's complicated, Larry. It's not all good or bad. It's not about recovery and you're done. Uh, trauma's really complicated. Yeah. Ensign, this was Ensign Lynch. Yeah. And, you know, I, this is all Borg interface code bars like that, easily attached to a Starfleet track. It's a, it's USB, uh, 20.0, um, a, a standard interface in the Probably 24th USB century. 47 by then. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and we got another cameo, Larry. This is cameo number three. Um, technically cameo number two because Ethan Phillips was playing a, a hologram. 
Um, but we see we <laughs> well, see Barkley again. Yeah. Some of, it's funny these moments. Some of the things like that right there, like some of the stills that were out as stills, like that you saw, like the, when they're coming along the corner with the rifles. That that thing of him turning was kind of like the standard Zephyr Cochran shot. And this is just a great. It's like, folks, back off a little bit. Um, <laughs> Zephyr Cochran. <laughs> he's he's stalking but not stalking what's that kind of like the hovering it's from a still i like this um this uh view from uh jordy's perspective of his eyes and that we're about to see we saw a close-up of his eye right now we're about to see the way he's he's able to see mm-hmm Look, folks, I love the fact that he worked up the guts to be able to ask Zephram Cochran. You know how hard that is for Barkley? I love that. I love that he was able to do that. Mm. Now, this is where I would have been like, Jordy, you told him about the statue. Mm Mm-hmm. Here's where he puts on his same psychologist of Scotty One and uh, doesn't do the right thing. Rebecca's wow. commenting about the seatbelt vest, <laughs> which is a great way to describe that. <laughs> you gotta. There's no function on that damn pad. What's so special about your special pad, Jordy? Statue. Carissa says, "I've been. I gotta take a leak. <laughs> leak. <laughs> I'm not detecting any leak. <laughs> Don't you people in the twenty-fourth century ever pee? Oh, get it. That's pretty funny." You're clever 21st century slang. Larry, I use that line with my friend, uh, my friend Matt, whenever he's like, I gotta go take a leak when we're hanging out, and I go, leak? I don't detect any leak, and we crack up yeah. every time. And there was a couple more of the next generation regular extras. So I, I wanted to say here, um, I point. definitely have been, uh, yeah, I've definitely, I'm a Klingon. <laughs> How scary must that be? <laughs> the first contact you have with an alien and his wharf right there in your face. Well, that's the throwback to the New York cop in uh, in uh, Tomorrow's Yesterday that sees Spock in the mm. transporter for the first. And they do that camera up pan, you know. So I was, um, Larry, uh, very... Perplexing transformation. Very long story short, um, I was last minute filling in for someone at um Star Trek uh Star uh, Star Trek convention in in um in New York. Um mm-hmm. and I was going to host this panel with Julie Nimoy. Um and mm-hmm. uh, where she was uh, discussing her documentary and they asked me to come into this green room right before to get ready for this panel. And I was just going to be talking to uh to Julie about it. And then um, in walks the entire cast of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. 
Um, and they're, they're just hanging out casually right there across from me. And the person hosting, um, one of the people who worked there kind of turned to me and looked at me and communicated without saying anything, play it cool. Don't you dare fanboy here. Don't you dare fanboy. (laughs) That's the first rule of being around your heroes is do not, you got to play it cool, which Barkley and Jordy, I think, um, they were not in that moment. Well, Jordy had a leg up, but Jordy can botch it himself. Oh, here we go. The cool spacesuits. Oh, my gosh. And even more cool uniforms. My gosh, Larry, this movie just keeps there's delivering. A, maybe it's gotten better, but for a long time, designing spacesuits in Hollywood has been problem. The first day – now, I wasn't there, but I've heard vivid stories from people. The first day they were in, they were shooting in these, it was mainly Patrick alone, and they they just – built the suit and he it's like he was like suffocating in it they didn't have any kind of they wound up going back and trying to cram little fans in to make some and have a out but they first built them without any kind of circulation system and um, he early oh, sorry. Was, like, was like turning blue and they're trying to mm. act and trying to be tough guy and just get through the scene but he was like getting lightheaded they had to like stop for a day and and go back and retool the helmets to make them Yikes. not fillers. Yeah. Yikes, that's not good. Um, Rebecca and I just mind melded because I was thinking the exact same thing. She said the SpaceX suits look kind of like that. If folks haven't seen them, Google the SpaceX suits. They look a lot like that. Um, they're probably even a bit of a cleaner design than what we see here. Um, this is this a... so. Greatly, this is so conceived wonderfully, and I think they cared it. That's off. a wonderful shot. Um, this whole scene, Larry, we were talking about this in a previous. I, I forget if we talked about this online or offline, but this whole sequence was a last minute change. I think the the whole scene on the hull. Um, it was supposed to be something else originally, or this was filmed as pickups. Or I'm, I'm not remembering 100, percent but I remember you telling me about that. Uh, I'm not sure, but uh, I'll I'll think on it. It's we're gonna be here for a while. I'll... We're gonna be here for a while, right? <laughs> if I do know kinda... that the set that the dish was built on live was they had to go back and change the model to match the dish. Yes, that's it. That's it. But also they picked the biggest stage at Paramount to build that set on stage fifteen, not sixteen, but fifteen is the tallest stage. So they were thinking with all, cause they, they have the, it's not very well done, but they have the life, they have the uh, weightless bit to it too. So they had to build like crane to get up. And anyway, it was a huge set that they were trying to make real. And, um, so they're shooting that in the spring summer of 96. And then by fall, that's the same stage where they had that 30th anniversary special. Mm. And they, they did it all at Paramount. They had the red carpet over in front of the theater. And then everybody came over and the audience was sitting, you know, where they gave everybody a, um, they gave everybody an award. They had all the casts up till then all together of the four shows and, and nobody, yeah, there were a couple that had to miss, but I remember it vaguely because, um, Nana and Sid had just had, had Django had their baby and they were taking turns. One of them would sit in the audience in the seats and the other one was like at the adjoining stage green room, like walking the baby. 
And I walked over there once and I caught <laughs> Sid over there with Django and we talked for a minute. And then it was just funny. It was just like such a human moment. To, I'm totally tromping over the movie here. But anyway. yeah, a, this is a big moment um, coming here. Um, uh, uh, just one thing to mention, Tim says um, a downgrade in spacesuits in the 21st century, considering Discovery has retractable helmets a century earlier. Yes, as well as um, uh, take a drink, folks, the Kelvin timeline has um, some more advanced spacesuits as well. Um, well, but... I mean, designers love and costumers love to design them. It's just like making them work on a real actor for a real shoot yeah. becomes a pain. It's tough. Yeah. yeah. So, Data, um, question for you, Larry. Is he acting here? Is he... How much of uh, of, the, uh, of Data is being Data, and how much is, is he playing the Borg Queen? He mentions at the end of the movie, you know, for like a brief moment, he was tempted. I think, well, it's it's a little bit. It's like a ten times bigger version of at the end of, um, not the price. Uh, I've gone blank when he's when he's when he's in Kivas Fajo's collection and he's shooting him at the end. He's trying to shoot him from the transporter beam. You know, and it's like, is he really overriding his programming to do no harm or or whatever or anger? I think he's pretty smart, and he's playing. It's one of those, you know, it's like Spock and the Romulan commander things. Yeah. And Spock wasn't near the android that Data is. I had very confused feelings when I saw this kiss. Really don't quite know what to lean back into her. I haven't focused on this kiss in, I don't know, 20 years, Ali, so thanks. <laughs> no problem, Larry. That's what I'm here for. Um <laughs> Oh my god. Larry, I feel the very same way about these special effects as I do some of the other films from this era, whether it's uh, Jurassic Park or uh, Starship Troopers. There's a wonderful blend of practical effects, some composite <laughs> shots, um, a little bit of CG, um, more practicals in the close-ups, more digitals in the distance. And these things blend together so nicely, and they, they stand the test of time. It still looks good now in whatever year we're in. What are we in, 2020? Uh, yeah. What is this, March 2020? Look how, look how cool um, those trees look. They look like real trees. <laughs> they look, they're so believable, these trees. They're so believable. Uh, that uh, actually looks like James Cromwell. <laughs> that actually <laughs> looks like Zephram Cochran. The, um, the, uh, uh, I love how the graves are pre-dug. What is that? Oh, Whoa, those are that's a little. That's weird. Um, I don't want to be a statue. This is like talking down the nervous actor out backstage. <laughs> that's quite a jump from that phaser blast. Uh, well, when you're not used to how a phaser on stun feels. Oh, it's... yeah, yeah, I guess. I guess that would be quite alarming. Remember, phasers on stun always, the very first time you saw a phaser on stun was in Man Trap, and Dr. Crater does that kind of like jump. <laughs> yeah, 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 I remember so that. So I think it's very canon, Ollie. I'll, I'll put the, the cool thing about this set was the, and I've gone blank on his name, and somebody's going to shoot me, but the photographer, the set photographer, um, this was a set that, it was kind of like the set, for, the V'ger set from Motion Picture. It was easy to like, if you walk, certain places you could oh, walk. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and you had to put on little booties and walk on. You couldn't walk on your street shoes because all of that was going to be in camera. 
But one day I was I was one day I got to have a set day and was watching and he said, you want a picture? And I'm like, sure. So I have a picture of me up against the the interplexing beacon there, the array in the middle, which you love flexing those when you look at them up close, they're like rods. Yeah, it's clear parts here in a minute. Those are all made from uh, they were like this futuristic bird feeders and they bought about 40 of them. They bought about forty of them and and strung them together. But you'll see what they when you see the Borg working on it, it's the pieces they can pull apart and have to be practical with. Um, this is so funny. It's like, oh look, it's a manual control on the hull of the ship to let the <laughs> dish go. See those things behind him? Those were yeah. all bird feeders and then connected into a long like cylinder. That's cool. I love that. And then um, they put lights inside. The the little coily part is. That's probably Anthony Fredrickson's handiwork. Now, Larry, why aren't those phasers floating away? Are they magnetized to stay on the ship? Uh, Lieutenant Hawk just kind of put it down, and, and that phaser stayed there. But I, I uh... Obviously. Well, it's a momentum thing, too. Yeah. Maybe they use some programmable matter. Who knows? <laughs> no, no. I'm sure it's got a mag lock. It's got a mag... You know, what keeps the phaser on your suit 100 years earlier? The magnetization... Holster. Oh, yeah, sure. They sure do take their time assembling those bird feeders, don't they? Mm-hmm. Well, you don't want to make the birds mad. The space birds. The largest... The great space birds, birds of the galaxy. The great space birds, right. You don't make them mad. The largest isolinear chips ever. Are those? Well, I'm just, no, probably there's bigger, but I just think it's funny. We have to make this big enough to be manipulable in a glove. They've adapted. Again. Ooh, a pulse. They were adop- the and those rifles were adapted not to harm the hull of the ship. They're firing pulses. Oh, uh, Polly says I love the panel <laughs> colors. Another historic moment. People forget this when Worf goes after his drone. Yeah. Another movie moment. Another movie budget moment. Oh, uh, no. the 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 oh. Borg is not human. The Borg is Klingon, right? That Borg right there that we just well, saw. Well, that's one thing, too. As they got late, the, the makeup guys were getting so bored doing Borg that, yeah, they started. I've got photos. Uh, there's there's Borg and Cardassian and Bolian. I mean, there's Klingon. Oh, there's and, Cardassian Borg? Cardassian. That's exciting. There's a Bolian Borg. Ooh. There. Yes. That's the that's the debut of the Mechleth. Oh! He needed a small knife for him to have to be wearing that whole time. I I love that Worf was just carrying that. Um, but people, they 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 debut of the which was quickly adapted back into DS Nine, ret- retconned into DS Nine. But um, I didn't notice this until Polly mentioned it. But I, um, Polly says I love the panel colors. One is red, one is yellow, and one is blue. Um, I don't know. It just makes me smile. I never noticed that, but I love that too. We've got our all of our divisions of Starfleet represented here, just like California class starships. The California class, yeah. Oh, poor Lieutenant Hawk. Lieutenant Hawk gets assimilated fast. Mm-hmm. Well, that happens when you're in low gravity. The nanoprobes work faster. They do work faster. Yes, that's true. <laughs> Uh, this, this scene again, um, great suspense and tension here. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and the warped uh, viewpoint of yeah, this. yeah. There's so many little touches, and and this Picard maneuver we're about to see. Um, <laughs> <laughs> dun 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 dun. This this moment of Picard floating feels very 2001 Space Odyssey to me. For some well, it reason. feels very 1996 effects, but yeah, <laughs> that's maybe why. Yeah, yeah, that's probably why. Big scrimpage. <laughs> Okay, but yes, very. Uh... Uh, the sound design is is really wonderful here too. We have so, we have a lot of new sounds that are introduced, but we also have a lot of refreshing of sounds from the next generation. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, Dave, that's one thing. I, it doesn't take much to store audio, even when you're on analog tape. So much less digital. This is so analog. Ka-chunk, ka-chunk, ka-chunk. But for them, this was an actual live effect that they did. They didn't show a lot of it, obviously, and that's like a little CGI pullback. But Brian says they could have used some self-sealing space, uh, the spacesuit from Enterprise. Brian, I think they could have used some self-sealing stem bolts here. Um, and Jason says the action figures of the Klingon and Cardassian Borg, um, they're pretty awesome. I forgot about those, but yeah, th- we had a lot of, um, a lot of toys tying into, um, this scene of, of Worf just tying up his hole with a Borg arm. That is probably the most Klingon thing you could possibly do. And I love it. I am here for yeah. it. Um, oh no, deflector but- dish on overload. Oh no, wait. Picard's got it. Okay. And that's why a phaser is always better than a lightsaber. He's 30 feet away and <laughs> pinpoints that blast. Love it. Oh, my gosh. Look at that beautiful model. Say it, Worf. Say it. Oh, yes. Boom. Well, that was a very satisfying scene. <laughs> <laughs> Nearly killed him, but yeah. The scale too. It's um, it's so rare to see scale mm-hmm. of humans and um, or scale mm-hmm. of people to starships. So it's that's a wonderful moment right there. Um, Mob Beckett Bozeman. Meanwhile, um, back in the the B storyline, um, Larry, the um, uh, was it Playmates still who had the um, um, the exclusive toy deal with uh, with Paramount for Star Trek goods at this time? I think. I think all those toys at the time. Oh, the nineties. Yeah, the nineties was yeah. all play action figures. Yeah. yeah, I remember a lot of um, a lot. We we had a lot of Star Trek First Contact related products uh, during this time. I it think was, the Micro Machines deal was over at this point. I don't remember uh, Enterprise D Micro Machine. Well, I don't think they got to do like breaking stuff. I think they got to do. Um, legacy things but yeah i don't think they did any movie tie-in I, they that was did so- um there was a micro machine enterprise d from all good things i remember that the three nacelle future enterprise i think that was probably as far into the future as they got we also had an enterprise b so i know they they got to do generations um maybe Maybe there's a Phoenix. I don't know. I'm going to have to check that to see. Uh, I, I know by the time we got to Insurrection and Nemesis, Micro Machines was done. Maybe First Contact, they had a few 
I'm sorry, I didn't know I was going to have to prep for licensee history too for this thing today, uh, Larry. I thought it was just always in there. I thought it's always. <laughs> I didn't. Well, somewhere between, I got my toys from the licensing warehouse, or I it was too beneath me, and I didn't mess. In the '70s, it was like I mean, people love the Spock helmet now, and. I don't even remember seeing it, but if I did, I would have gone, well, that's obviously a piece of crap. That didn't exist. That's a piece of crap. Um, Glenn is saying a Jedi would have just used the force. Um, and Lone Star would have used the Schwartz. <laughs> uh, don't try to be a great man, Larry. Just be a man. Just be a man. Oh, Scott is fact checking me here. There is a Playmates Phoenix. Um, yeah, yeah, I've, yes. Yeah, but is there a Micro Machine Phoenix? That's what's the point, yeah. No, I remember, yeah. the, I, I may even still have my Phoenix. Yeah. I had some of that stuff I was, I was getting rid of, but, uh, I didn't. And the, and the nacelles popped out. It was the whole, it wasn't just the capsule, it yeah. was the whole rock, and the nacelles clicked out. You know what I always wanted? Um, I wanted the, the, the bridge playset from Playmates. Um, and I think there might have even been like a transporter room playset. Um, now, this guy survived, and he's in uh, Insurrection. I think he gets his name in Insurrection. I've forgotten what it is. Something simple. Oh, yeah, he is in Insurrection. Yeah. Because okay. the line must be drawn here. And no this is also... Uh, Larry, this movie's so good. Yes. He, here we have a Worf and Picard moment. Mm-hmm. Which is deepening of their relationship. I think we can criticize the the later movies as not giving um, not giving enough of our different relationships a time to shine. But right. everyone gets something in First Contact, mm-hmm. which which I really love. It's the Star Trek Four of the next generation. But... Allow it in your personal experience. Oh, I'm sorry, we're not in sync. Oh, this is a great question from Tim. What happened to the original two co-pilots of the Phoenix? Well, thought about that. Were there dead bodies in the barn down there? Well, there's your answer. And it's or whether kind of Lily was supposed to be. I think Lily was supposed to be ground crew. I don't think she was supposed to be a co-pilot. Yeah, yeah. I don't think Lily was supposed to be a co-pilot. Um, I think the the same thing that happened to uh, um. Our leader uh, of the of the San Francisco Revolt, uh, Larry, what's his name uh, from um, uh, the Bell Rides? Yeah, Gabriel. Gabriel. Yeah, yeah. The same thing that happened to Gabriel, uh, Tim, is what happened to those co-pilots. I was like, he's working on a model in the middle of a crisis. Yeah, what's he doing? <laughs> I really need to fix these isolinear rods. I think he's re- he's trying to remodulate some frequencies to get to get a little bit more firepower out of them my, before I'm, the Borg I, adapt. I'm adding some special lighting to my Ferengi Decora class <laughs> model. <laughs> I want the crab feet to come out of uh, arms to come away from the munch. It calms me down. <laughs> uh, the lighting, Larry, I just want to comment on um, um, it's, it's the cinematography. It's, yeah. yeah. You can't have it's, bright I mean, TV. You couldn't get 
farther away from a TV look here. Because Generations was really kind of, uh, no pun intended, trying to bridge the lighting and the changes between TV and um, cinema. But here, this is this is very clearly lit I and think, shot yeah. for a cinematic. Uh, Can I just say I think it's really foresightful of Starfleet to design and the people who tailor made, you know, the, the dressings on the Enterprise Z, especially because I'm sure those ships are all very precious things, and for them to have, you know, built a protective display case. That will let nothing at all happen to those precious, precious <laughs> models of history. Yeah, it's really high quality 24th century tech. I'm it's so glad. Uh, kind of unbreakable. I mean, on the D, the the big half, you know, the bas relief plaster ships are just hanging up. They could have just fallen yeah. off and broke. They get one little. The minute the you know the the Heisenberg compensators fail or the inertial gravity fails, and everybody's falling out of their seats even more than usual. No. Thankfully, in this new model, we have a specially designed protective display case. A little fun fact here. Patrick <laughs> Stewart goes on to play Captain Ahab very shortly after this. Yes. Um, for a TV movie ad- adaption of Moby Dick. Maybe not so much. What's cool is John Eves. Those are all either model kit or uh, or uh, Playmates ships. I've got the exact breakdown. Oh, really? Yeah. They're and th- that are then spray painted. Spray and painted gold. Hmm. Let me. I can tell you real quick. Uh, okay, the D, the A, and the original Enterprise are all AMT model kits. The Playmates model is the B, and a fan's garage kit was the C, because hmm. there was no commercial C kit yet. There you go, bang. See, this, now, is why, um, this is why you have Trekland. Um, it's your micro K3 factor. Micro K3, like a micro machine. Uh, Larry, the um, if if folks watch the trailer, the full trailer to Star Trek First Contact, you see an alternate take here of Picard's reading of that line of uh, the line must be drawn here. Um, and I, I can't remember correctly, but I don't know if... Um, the original line was also "I will pay for what they've done to me." I don't, I don't remember, but uh, I don't know if that's a false memory or not. But I have some memory of that. Jared says there's somebody from Lower Decks who has the job of checking on the model ships every day. They <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah, then Christoph says Picard mail ordered all those models from Eagle Moss. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yes, because obviously in the 2300s, there'd be no AMT and, uh, and Playmates don't exist anymore, obviously. Dan says, I was really looking forward to this film to see the cloaking device yeah. uh, of the official the official Star Trek magazine revealed would be on board the Enterprise-E. Obviously, I was disappointed. Was that a thing, Larry? Were they going to have a cloaking device on the Enterprise? They're... I'm trying to think maybe one of the earlier drafts that doesn't ring a bell right off that I will I will look. So Nathaniel's I, I suddenly we found the chat here. Nathaniel's saying why does that line get so much attention? Because it's it's Sir Patrick delivering it. It's one of those iconic you know, why does God get so much attention from Rathacon? Yeah, it is the con. It's the con of, um, oh, that's clearly that model. I built that model, Larry. I know exactly. Yours looked that way several times. 
And we're about to see the lifeboats, which is wonderful. Um, as someone who read the tech manual, I always wondered what, what it would look like for those lifeboats to fire off on the Enterprise mm-hmm. D. Oh, this and was I... such an awesome nerd boy moment here. Oh, yeah. For them to leave. More well, seatbelts, folks. A lot of seatbelts in this post-apocalyptic, post-World War Three future. Apparently, people were very concerned about their safety. That was the equivalent of the blast door on the engineering only. The guy couldn't do a barrel right. roll sideways. So. Yeah, Jason's got a great comment here. It's, I think Picard's uh, unwillingness... Four seven. Did you hear that? His code was command uh, four seven alpha omega. Four seven. Yes. Where are they going? They're going to. Um... Yeah, this was awesome to see how people load up the. Larry, where are they going? They're getting what in island? the escape pods. No, I know they're getting in escape pods, but what oh. island are they they headed to? Uh, Gravette Island, which is not a real island. It's named for uh, Jacques Gravette, who was Ron's assistant then, and he's gone on mm-hmm. to become a, a film editor. He was an assistant editor by the time of Enterprise, and he's an editor editor now. Yeah, so Jason had a had a comment here about Picard's unwillingness to blow up the damn ship, and it might be because he's given up. He's already given his loss of humanity. Um, he's lost too much, and and him dealing with everything he's gone through. Sometimes when people go through trauma, they they kind of get stuck, and they have a hard time um, uh, thinking a bit more flexibly about some of the situations they've been through. And I, I think Picard was kind of going through that. He needed um, that comparison to Captain Ahab, which again beautifully ties into Picard's love of literature uh, that's been established in The Next Generation. It's what really helped him to see how he was going down a path that is really not the best for for his crew and for humanity. And the captain must go down with the ship here, taking this last moment to take a look around at the bridge. This Mm -hmm. is a wonderful moment. Well, and it really leads you on. Everybody's gotten in the pods, and he's here watching the movie. Mm-hmm. Hold on, folks. Get your drink ready. You know about to reference right now, Larry. The Kelvin timeline. Uh, in Star Trek Beyond, uh, Kirk is the last one looking at, at the bridge, last one left on the bridge as, as that ship is about to be destroyed. Um, that scene really is evocative of this moment right here that Picard had in first contact. Oh, okay. You found something in a Kelvin movie to worth linking to. <laughs> I love this movie too. Oh, not I, Ubi Doobie. This is Magic Carpet Ride. Look at that physical media, folks. Physical media is still around. Well, we had the years from now. It's post World War III. That's right. They don't have, yeah, they don't have digital media. CG. Is this the first time we're getting, like, some pop music in Star Trek, Larry? I want to say pretty much this whole, you know, well, you had some older pop music. You had out of some of the jazzy stuff from Dixon Hill and Minuet's holodecks, you know, from Out of Nowhere is an old standard song, too. Well, the, is this a first vocal pop music we have in Star Trek? I think so, yeah. Ron Moore wanted to make it Gimme Shelter, but... Uh, oh, yeah, but they went with Magic Carpet Ride. Probably easier Magic Carpet Ride fits better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just looking at some of my old notes here. 
I, I also just love how um, evocative this is of of our Apollo liftoffs, mm-hmm. of now the Dragon liftoff. Of um, this feels like it's very relatable to to see this uh, this mm-hmm. type of launch. Well, jettisoning and, and all the parts yep. uh, coming away, all the bangs and booms, the metallic, the stages. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's been a lot of talk about seeing uh, your Earth, seeing your planet from the first time. Yeah. Yeah, Christina says, um, didn't need to read the whole book, um, but uh, she read a synopsis. Uh, Christina is someone who hasn't read a lot of the classics um, and has also, in my day, read a lot of Cliff Notes. I love that moment. Um, Now more like Spark Notes, I believe, is what the younglings refer to them as. What what are you talking about? Lily. She never read Moby Dick. Uh, Oh. She was too busy engineering her way into history. I love I love seeing these escape pods go. Mm-hmm. There's this. It's that. There's it's that. Uh, it's that wish list of stuff you never got to see. Yes. So you set it up yes. for a movie budget. Yeah. Yeah, and and um, like that was a lot of money that was just spent on a uh, five second shot. That's what's so great. You can do that in a motion picture when you just can't. On, or on um, those elements to render them in heaven. Yeah. Oh, man. We're getting a lot of love for Cliff Notes from Polly and from Glenn um, and from um, Glenn Williams and Glenn Iverson. Um, a lot of love for Cliff Notes here. Mm-hmm. This is all shot so, kind of. Uh, what I want to say, Larry, um, about the score again is we have a Borg theme. We have uh, the Next Generation Crew th- theme. We've got the Klingon theme. And um, what, what I think is so great about a score is if you can if you can hear the score with your eyes closed and kind of imagine the scene. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think Wrath of Khan has the, the best score. I was going to say Star- that. Yeah. 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 Um, and then- the Genesis countdown that, yeah. that, oh yeah, yeah, I've agreed. Um, but the Genesis countdown that, that seven minutes, you can, you can see the Reliant, you can see the Enterprise, you mm-hmm. can see Khan, you can see Picard, or Picard, <laughs> Khan, uh, Kirk. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But we, we have that here too. Um, you can, you can hear that boy, bum, bum, bum. I always feel like it's some big processional. Yes. Yeah. And kind of marching, the drones marching. Yeah. Yeah. This film does a really great job with those themes and, um, and evoking all the visual images here. I love that line. You think it's such three-dimensional terms. Uh, seven. <laughs> s- now, seven refers back to the first contact moment here mm-hmm. in a Voyager episode where she says, uh, you know, the Borg were present for the events of uh, first contact. Mm-hmm. And they're like, I think, is, is it Harry and Paris are there or Torres? Um, they kind of look at her and they're like, what? And then she's like... Eh. It's complicated. You wouldn't understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a cute bit. It kind of refers back to this, uh, you think, in such three-dimensional terms. 
I want to say, Larry, I want to say something that's you not controversial, but uh, yeah, please um, allow me. I'm going to make an argument to say this film might be the most influential Star Trek film on the development of further Star Trek than any other any other since probably the wrath of Khan. Um, yeah. Well, th- yeah. Continuity, Canon background, historical moments, touchstones. Co- yeah. Costumes, yeah. series enterprise really yeah. came from first contact. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, this. Then, well, you it, have the, the seven arc is out of this with a Borg queen. Yes, it yes. affected Voyager. You have, uh, well, Picard, the series, obviously, Discoveries yep. exempt. Um, yep. I don't know. There's probably references in Lower Decks too. Well, the gray tops are in Lower Decks, but um, in a flashback. But no, I think I think that's true. But that's also ev- evocative of who was doing it and when. And then it was around sure. so long, so long. Even the people who weren't part of this creative team were affected by it. And you know, but you had to pick up Picard's story. It has to have all these threads. Yes. These parts of Picard's tapestry have to be part of it. Ah, Larry, 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 you did it. You did it. Um, for those of you keeping track, yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. For those of you keeping track on your, uh, life support live bingo here. Um, Jared says, who's on the bridge right now? (laughs) (laughs) The emergency met the emergency command hologram, obviously. Yeah, Yeah. The emergency command hologram. It's actually predates it. So probably. Oh no, he's in brothers mode. He's in brothers mode. <laughs> oh man, that reminds me. Where's Lore? What's going on with Lore? He's he's all Lore broken up about this. Ah. Uh. <laughs> they experimented with different looks of how they would play the data real skin. They did different sections mm. where it's like his whole head and half his head, and finally they went with that partial <laughs> i love seeing the different uh degrees the of, of the board yeah. yes <laughs> <laughs> oh really really okay is that a new drink thing we mentioned a broadway musical okay oh i just i'm just i'm, I'm, I'm just imagining them singing um Oh, of course he says engage. Of course. That I think is like a little that's a little stretch. And a little yeah. It's engage yeah. and it's a uh, and we have to have the reaction shot. Now this was cool watching them Yes. Yeah. Seeing them go to warp one um is is really great. There's a wonderful YouTube video comparing warp speeds and how long it would take to get to like Jupiter or Saturn mm-hmm. at these different warp speeds. Warp one is pretty slow, folks. It would take quite a while to to get anywhere yeah, with warp yeah. One. That's why we've had to keep fudging the warp factors and the scale and the oh, it's local matter <laughs> interferes with it too. Now that's yeah, just, and that's just the way. That's like she got that from the Herosian or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm excited to see what warp is going to look like with these new 32nd century ships, which have you know mm-hmm. the nacelles are floating alongside. Um, I'm very curious to see what that will look like. Um, it's like someday they're going to go, why do we even have these nacelles? Why are we even dragging them along? <laughs> okay, about to make the warp jump. 
Oh, um, we, uh, Star Trek's uh, or Picard strip watch. Um, Picard is down to his undershirt. Thank you, Rebecca, for the update there. <laughs> Your future's end, which is not a line in Future's End of Voyager. That's a, the Listen to the warp nacelles of the night. <laughs> Thank you, Marissa, for I that. I do not know him. I do not know him. You're stuck with me. You're, I'm not stuck in here with you, Larry. You're stuck in here with me in this little blue box of ours. <laughs> this phantom zone we're in. Careful to say that resistance is not futile yeah. because no one, none of those serfs were ever overturn their their lords and masters so no resistance is not futile uh, cairo says uh when i first watched that i definitely believe data has switched sides as did i if you as did i here's a here's a little uh look ahead if you subscribe to the official magazine the captions logged photo of my next column is going to be out of the scene it's a behind the scenes picture from the scene oh if you if you if you get dead tree media star trek from the official titan magazine um, Larry, <clears throat> that the cockpit of the Phoenix was later reused for the astronauts cockpit in the Voyager episode. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know which episode you're talking about. The Mars, the Ares 4 cockpit. And then also it was redressed and used again for the alien on the blink planet, his ship. So even the even the uh, Phoenix cockpit got reused. OK, I cut you off. Uh, I forgot what I was going to say. It was probably something silly. Um, oh, yeah. Um, a great effects here with the Borg Queen. Um, yeah. And uh, the sci-fi trope of take out the queen and the whole collective is, is gone. Um, another little reference to like aliens and, and so many others. Um, yeah, this is I was going to ask you a silly uh, techno babble question. Um, do you think Zephram Cochran also invented inertial dampeners here? Because if they're going warp one, you better have some inertial dampeners well, on board. Did you hear him? He's rattling off. He says uh, structural field integrity. Is oh, on. yeah. So he's got yeah. he's yeah. yeah, yeah. He invented that. He's got yeah. it. He Plus, knows what he's doing. Too. They weren't taking any chances. They were strapped in. Gosh, I love that sound of the of the gas being withdrawn. The sound design on this movie is so good. Yep. This movie's so well crafted. And those Borg alcoves immediately turned oh, around and recycled. Those are the alcoves yep. made for Seven in Voyager. Yep. Oh, Scott says that's also the cockpit of the warp test flight in Enterprise. Oh, yes, 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 yes. That cockpit has really been on a long road, Larry. It's historical. Getting from there to here, boy. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know what? But its time is finally near. I can see my dreams are a lacking back or whatever they say. I was at that line that I never can understand. I can see my dreams are alive at last. I can touch the oh, is that sky. What they say? Oh, is this is something yeah. about I can see my dreams are a lacking back or something. I was <laughs> a lacking back? <laughs> at least that's uh, not as bad as not knowing. Get, you got to get some lacking back from the hardware store, Larry. Now, the... the, the Very Terminator was, 2 here. Yeah. The Boar Queen's skull and uh, spine were on display in a lot of the museum shows. <laughs> Data, Captain, Captain, Data, Data, Captain. <laughs> also a bit more 
very Terminator-esque here. Ah, uh, the music's swelling. Mm-hmm. You think the movie's over, but no. First contact is ahead. Oh, we have much more to go. We have much more history to make. There's so much history to make here, folks. Pardon me is sorry. She she's dead. was unique. We could have discovered so much more about the collective. Mm. I love this look. How long a time, dear? 0. 0.86 seconds. <laughs> I'm sure Brent loved being in that makeup, whatever the heck they uh, they glued to his face there. Well, the the LEDs are all on top of the metallic faceplate. Oh, here's a here's a piece of trivia. So Mike Westmore's son, Mike Jr., who's an electronics whiz and did a lot of the day. Anytime you saw the data had peeled away in the series and it got better and better and better as the tech got better. Um. In this one, the Borg, the Borg drone things are all blinking in different Morse codes, and they spell out people's mm, names. That's pretty just, cool. Just to stay alive, just to stay like awake while they were able to do it all. So, um, oh, I want to say here, um, Christoph said Doctor Sim sure, uh, surely loved red and green LEDs. Yes, he did. Um, Larry, I, I'm I'm really happy that April fifth has now become more of a star uh, a Star Trek Day celebration. It's really mm-hmm. lovely because I, um, you know, first May con- the 5th, first contact. Yeah. Um, May the 5th has become this like unofficial Star Wars day. And, um, I love that in Star Trek, we're celebrating this moment that we're about to see that sort of changes. Mm-hmm. This is where our timeline really diverges and becomes the Star Trek timeline. Um, and I love that we're beginning to sort of celebrate and commemorate what star trek means to all of us in the, this we have star this trek grand story september for the birthday but then for the yeah, birthday yeah contact day yeah and everything from star wars is just cute wordsy stuff like may the fourth <laughs> how clever you know it's a nice it's a nice omelie but and revenge of the yeah. sixth yeah 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 and then star um, trek's premiere is like in may so it's kind of like right or Later in May. It's like all their holidays are like right together. Ours just <laughs> Rose says, Ollie, you have to get a really big ladder to touch the sky. <laughs> um, the, um, uh, another example of production value here, cinematic production value, they made this an- another ship here. Um, Larry, I don't know if this was CGI or if this was a model. No, Clearly, the close-up the, is a set. The leg is built real because they pulled it out and used it to reshoot that scene for In a Mirror Darkly. With the, the, and, the mirror- and Larry, here's this is your Lower Decks reference. We see this ship again in Lower Decks. Yes, yes. In the, their Smithsonian, that uh, their version so of the Smithsonian. Charlie Fredrickson is the he's been retconned to be Solcar. In, in the the Enterprise writers really wanted him to be down the Spock Sarek lineage, you know, and uh, he's been retconned to be Solcar that gets mentioned. Is there any way I can have uh, you for about minutes? Yeah, I yep. be away from ten, and I'll be right yep. back. This is also a moment that we see in. Um, um, this is also a moment we see in uh, Star Trek Enterprise. We see the alternate take of of this from the mirror universe, and we see Zephram Co- um, Zephram uh, Cochrane shoot the Romulans and kind of 
pillage their ship. Um, that was a, a a wonderful mirror universe alt take on this whole moment. <laughs> Cairo, live long and prosper. Thanks. That feels like a very human way of uh, of responding to that. Oh, Rebecca saying we celebrate 1701 here. So, uh, Rebecca, I'm assuming that's uh, January 17. Um, I love that. I love that. Celebrating the sort of uh, Enterprise Day there. Tim saying the birth of the Terran Empire. A slightly updated beam-up effect right there as well. I'm a little surprised that the Vulcans did not detect them. Um, I mean, Vulcans clearly have pretty good tech at this point. Um, I mean, it makes sense that the Enterprise might have maybe, maybe it's shields or something a better way of sort of uh hiding itself than uh than the vulcan tech at this point but uh it was a little hard to believe i love seeing this image right over here of um the enterprise uh recreating that that time dilation whatever thing and kind of floating away the idea i love this idea that you might be able to in this future you might be able to see uh, large starships from this uh, from the distance of uh, of uh, the surface of the planet Earth, and like this is okay. So for all of you who are like, you know, why are the Vulcans so uh, the way they are in Enterprise? It's because of this. Is because they meet humans in this situation. <laughs> They're meeting humans right at the. Um, uh, post world war three the, uh, these are not the humans that we see in the original series um these are humans that are going through a big transition they're they're transforming from us to kirk and company um so i i can kind of understand why the vulcans might be a little concerned about these humans that have uh, uh, just achieved warp flight. Yeah, Rebecca saying, seriously, how did this song not scare off the Vulcans? Um, I, I'm with you. Um, I'm, I'm definitely with you there. And Polly saying, I love how this influenced um, Enterprise, and I completely agree with you, uh, Polly. It's it's wonderful to see how these how these things tie together. As uh, um, as I was saying before, I think this is the most influential. Um, uh, this is one of the most influential Star Trek films in in, in terms of uh, impacting what came after it. Rebecca, oh, these credits are pissing me off. Why? Why? Why are you sad? Is it because the movie's coming to an end? We still have a, uh, we still have a few minutes left, and we have a beautiful score um, that we we can listen to. Um, 
Daniel says, can you imagine the sky once we get all the starships going? Yeah, I think that would be just so beautiful to see. I mean, you can already see the International Space Station if you've got a good enough telescope and you also have some clear visibility. But the idea of, uh, as Riker says, looking looking at the moon, and I think he says, what, New Tycho City or, or something like that, um, being able to see all those settlements on the moon and this idea of being able to look into orbit and seeing the space station, uh, seeing that space station from Star Trek three or from, um, being able to see, uh, just a bunch of starships in orbit. Um, what a beautiful sight that would be. Oh, Christoph, this might be why the Vulcans are so annoyed is superior hearing clearly from the speakers for entertainment that would be really hard if you're if you have those uh the Vulcan uh, senses and uh Cochrane is just turned up the jukebox um I can see why they might be a little bit a little annoyed Dan says I noticed Janet's credit ah Larry where are you Larry Larry we need you we missed uh I missed it I missed it, and I can't rewind now. There she is, Janet Nemechek. No, I see her. Assistant associate, uh, assistant production associates. I got it. I got it. I saw it. Yes. That's so cool. That is so cool. Um, New Berlin on the moon. Thank you, Tim. Thank you for thank you for that. Oh, Rebecca said, the way they credit the names of the characters annoys me. I can see that. Um, Polly, it's been wonderful to have you. I'll be, uh, Polly says, I'd love to be in touch. Polly, join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash life support live, um, to stay in touch with the community. Um, and we'd be happy to, uh, to see you there. Williams says, new Armstrong city on the moon. Um, uh, Galinda says, and I'm off to work for the credits. Uh, folks, this has been, I'm still hanging out here until the credits are over and maybe Larry will come back. I don't know. Who knows? Um, but it's been it's been just so much. Uh, um, it's been so fun to have this uh, watch along uh, with all of you. Um, this movie is one of those movies where anytime I'm I'm feeling down, I need to pick me up. I can come back to Star Trek: First Contact. It lays down the philosophy of Star Trek of how um un- humanity uniting under a peaceful exploration of the stars of cooperating with other species of valuing diversity this is this is the core philosophy of star trek and it's all laid out here in this movie and this movie is about um about so much it's it's also action it's also suspense it's got a little bit of horror there's Wonderful new starships, wonderful new uniforms, um, a brand new, um, a brand new look for our crew, um, some wonderful moments for all of our characters. It's, this is one of those movies that I can always come back to, um, whenever I need to feel, um, just a little bit better about myself. When I need a little life support in my life, Star Trek First Contact is it. Oh, folks, um, 
a wrap up on the credits. Um, Dan saying this has been fun. Thanks, everyone. I can't agree more with that. Um, Tim saying looking forward to watching the next. What, what do you all want to watch next? What would it be? Would it be an episode? Um, a film? Um, we've done Star Trek Insurrection. We did that for July 4th. We did, uh, It's Only a Paper Moon from Deep Space Nine. Now we've done, um, Star Trek First Contact. What else should we watch together? I don't know, folks. Um, I'm a little torn. Um, The Voyage Home is always a great one to watch together. Uh, Wrath of Khan is always um, a ton of fun. Larry's not here, so I can say it. Star Trek 2009 would be a great watch along as well. Um, And then there's, uh, gosh, so many episodes we could talk about from All Good Things to... um, so so many others um let us know in the comments folks what um what what should we watch glenn is saying star trek 4 the voyage home cairo 2009 would be fun yeah i'm with you there uh cairo um i'm with you on that um uh christoph meanwhile not 2009 (laughs) i kind of just want to see what would happen to larry if uh if we make him uh watch it um Oh my gosh. Uh, Carissa says, this is my favorite movie of all time. It was fun watching it with you guys uh, the day before my birthday. Happy birthday! Happy birthday to you, uh, Carissa. Uh, wonderful f- uh, for you to be uh, um, having that so soon. And uh, hope you have a wonderful birthday. Uh, uh, for the next watch along, Tim says, uh, I hope it's a two-parter episode. Any series will do. Ah, interesting. Um Interesting. If we had all, all of our ducks in a row, maybe we could have done uh, the best of both worlds, first contact, and then maybe an episode from Voyager. But we we did not have all of our ducks in a row. Um, Paul is saying happy Thanksgiving to you all in the U.S. We had Thanksgiving here in Canada five weeks ago, and sadly cases are on the rise again. Please stay safe, folks. Please, please, please um, stay as safe as you can. If you are going to see other folks. Try to minimize the risk as much as possible. Wear a mask, socially distance yourself from other folks. If you can, um, do it outside. Um, if you can't, please uh, ventilate yourself very well. Be very careful and cautious. It's a tough time. There is hope on the horizon. Um, we get, we're getting wonderful news about different vaccines that are um, coming very, very close to being uh, authorized for emergency use. But we, we still have... Um, we still have a good long road ahead of us before um, vaccines are released in a way that is going to make um, make a big change. So please, please take care of each other. And um, folks, this has been a ton of fun. Um, I've uh, I, I love watching Trek with all of you and celebrating this thing we love so much together. Um, and uh, gosh. Um, I wish we could just keep doing this, but I need to get back to work. I think some of you need to get back to work. And those of you, um, uh, watching in Europe, uh, you're probably getting ready for bed. But, um, folks, um, this has been, uh, this has been a ton of fun. Thanks for listening to the Life Support Live podcast. We'd love to get your feedback on this episode. I'm at Alimatu on social media. And I'm at Larry Nemechek. Hey, if you like this show, we'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review. It'll help more people to discover life support. And you can join the community at our Life Support Live Facebook group. 
If you'd like to learn more about psychology and mental health, check out my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash the psych show. And for a deeper dive into all things Trekland, like Portal 47, check out Larry Nimichek's Trekland on Facebook and YouTube. Until next time, live long and prosper. Trek well, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>